Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelley. And welcome to another episode of True North Crime. Where we talk about Canadian crime and Canadian law, although not as much in Canadian law in this episode. No! Mostly crime this most, week. Most, most crime. We're all we're most we're we're heavy on the crime, but that's okay. I was I was never that interesting anyway. <laughs> My portion of the show is always the dry, boring portion. <laughs> I've been I'm I'm slowly being weaned out of it. Soon it's just gonna be Rachel. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll just get longer and longer as they just drag it out. What more can I, I possibly it, say? I thought it would take at least a year and. <laughs> I wanted a gold watch. <laughs> oh, well, not this time, my friend. <laughs> oh, man. So how's it going? What's up? I I have had the most rando week. Well, as you know, I had surgery. Yep. So I have to say that it's not as painful as a lot of our crimes. So I'm good with that. <laughs> That's good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, but the weird thing is, is like minor surgery, people, when you say you have surgery, people always assume that it's something super serious, that you're like going under the knife to have your like heart cut open because they see it on TV. Exactly. Your chest has been opened up and your legs are hanging out there and there's like nerves and shit. Like it is, it is hilarious to sit there and say, and everybody's like, how are you feeling now? And you're like a week later, you're like, "I I feel pretty normal. I just, you know, the first 24 hours were a little painful, not great, but at the same time, now I'm pretty on the mend like yeah. I went for a 10 kilometer hike with my dog today thank you mom <laughs> oh, gee. but everybody treats you still like you're fragile <laughs> right well because you say surgery like you said if you don't go into the details it's like well it's laparoscopic procedure and they just but people don't people don't know what that and... means like people don't know what that means anyway you're like it's laparoscopic and they're like oh my god, god you okay? that sounds awful that sounds terrible <laughs> you're like dude i have four incisions it's fine it's good we're fine it was a little gassy afterwards so yes yeah, yeah. Really... that was the worst actually that was the worst part <laughs> gas the gas like the incisions just feels like i've been doing an ab workout and it's fucking like it's it's stiff yeah but it's like everything else like the gas was by far in the first 24 hours it's like jesus this hurts a lot oh god <laughs> but otherwise good to go all right so i had a chocolate cake as my first meal brilliant so i think i'm fine yeah. <laughs> excellent what more could you so want? My my, my friend, um, our our friend, anyway, he rolled me out of the, the thing and he's like, what do you want to do now? And I was like, well, we should go get some food because I haven't eaten for 24 hours and I haven't had anything to drink for 12. So let's go. <laughs> so like, because you're not allowed to drink any water. Yeah. Like, you well, have to be, no, like I'm not saying drink like alcohol. No, I just in general. Yes. Oh, I understand. Well, I, I know how like, these, pr- I know how well, I don't know what our, I don't know what our listener thinks. Maybe I drink a lot. <laughs> So, so anyway, so we went and I just basically bought myself a little chocolate cake and just chowed down on that for dinner. It was good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So it's great to be alive. Yeah. So how are you doing? (laughs) Pretty good. I went back to the gym today for the first time in months. (laughs) I'm proud of myself. Shut up. I'm I'm just, okay. Talk about eating cake. (laughs) I went to the gym. Hey. Uh, and it was because there's a particular class that I like to take. It's a weightlifting class. Um, 
and it was it was tough. I did not feel good at the end of it. Like in what sense? Like well, just, just like, because it was you're tiring or you were like faint or No, it's just like tiring. I'm like, oh, fuck, that's a hard workout. I'm like, you know, my legs are all wobbly because it's a lot of leg work in this uh this So workout. wait, 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 what weight class is this? Like just It's called body pump. Yeah, but I go on. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? You lift weights. <laughs> But like, there's different ways. To, like, if I'm gonna sit there and lift weights, am I lifting like them above my head? Am I doing lunges? Am Everything. I doing, like, you, core it's, whole, it's whole body. It's with a bar. Free. Oh, it's with a bar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's not free weight. It's like. Well, the, I use free weights at one point because when we get to the shoulder track, I can't do the bar because I don't have. There's a problem with my shoulders. I don't know what it is. Um, but I have to use free weights. For, All right. Um, and a little bit like a lighter weight for the shoulder workout. But it's like. It's top to bottom. It's the whole thing. And I like, once I get back into the rhythm of going to these classes, it'll get a lot easier and I can start adding more weight to my bar, which is the goal. But yeah. just like the first, the first workout after you've been lazy for a while is always tough. I like how you don't like mince words on that. I've been lazy. All right. Yeah, I have. It's... Some people are like, I've been inactive. <laughs> no, no, I've been lazy. Fucking lazy. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can make excuses if you want to hear them, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Uh, well, if so... it makes me feel better, I also <laughs> I also drilled in my pull-up bar onto today into one of the um, entrances. And did you my... actually do a pull-up or you just, you set up the bar? Well, and... well here's the thing. I set up the bar <laughs> and I did a pull-up and I was like, oh, no, no, nope. surgery, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a little much. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway well i'm glad you're going to the gym that's good yeah so mm. hopefully i'll keep up with this mm. we'll see how it goes i'll keep you it's posted al- it's always the routine but... it is it's just yeah it's settling into a routine and a schedule and it'll become easier well, and also like i mean also you have to remember that if you want to justify winter beer you have to justify gym well i don't need to justify the, the gym will justify the beer I mean, I'm going to drink the beer regardless, but I can feel less guilty about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know myself. Anyway, well, so anyway, we, we could talk about this for hours. So, so let's go on to bodiless crimes because Rachel chose this one and sent it to me. Yeah. And I have to say that I had, I had never considered this as much as it made sense when I read it. Mm-hmm. I had never thought about it before because... It doesn't come up very often. No, but it's not even that. It's more like it's so interesting because it it makes a lot of sense because usually you would have, you would jump to conclusions like, oh, okay, this person was seen last with this person Mm -hmm. and therefore this person is now missing forever. So clearly. (laughs) So clearly this other person might have done it. But at the same time, we all know that's circumstantial. And the question is, is like, how does that actually get charged, right? Yeah. So, what do you do? Yeah, and it, like, like I'll, I'll, I'll give away my hand on this one. There wasn't a lot of law to do with this. It's more about juries. But yeah, um, for Rage, I mean, like, it, it's an, it's really an interesting perspective on the law because usually, no, you, you just don't think of it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm gonna focus more on the like police investigation. Uh, so this is the case of Julie Stanton. 
And let's start in 1991 when Detective Herb Kerwin was promoted to Durham Homicide. He was told everyone had to work a cold case and he was assigned the case of Julie Stanton, a teen girl with long blonde hair from Pickering, Ontario, who'd gone missing in 1990. Julie's disappearance was first investigated as a missing person and then major crimes took over. The prime suspect in Julie's disappearance was a man named Peter Stark, but there was never enough evidence for police to make an arrest. And then the case just kind of went cold after that. So Peter Stark was related to her how? Well, I will get there. Okay. Okay. Julie was last seen by her neighbor. He saw her get into a car with a white scruffy looking guy with shaggy hair. Yeah, because that defines you, right? Everybody, right? <laughs> well, when the cops looked into Julie's life, it didn't take them long to learn about a friend named Kim, whose dad matched the neighbor's description. Right. And what's more, Kim's dad's car looked a lot like the car this neighbor saw. Okay. I'll say so. Kim's dad is this guy, Peter Stark. Right. Um, Anna Stark wasn't immediately known to police. It didn't take them long to learn all about his violent past. Which is? In 1970, Stark picked up a blonde hitchhiker named Nancy Nelson. He told her his name was Mike. Once she was in the car, Mike asked Nancy if she was scared to hitchhike and if she thought that he might be dangerous. Oh, can I can I just interject with a personal story on this? Yeah, point? totally. I had this exact question asked to me in Norway. Really? <laughs> yes. So, so I was in Norway and I lived in this town called Fovang, and it's like population four hundred. It had a stop sign. It, like that was it, and a pizza bar. And so I thumbed a ride to get to the local train station so I could go into Oslo, which is four hours away. And the guy who picked me, and I, I literally do not speak a lick of Norwegian, like uh-huh. nothing. Right. So this and you kind of base the fact that Norwegians are pretty educated. I so this guy picked me up and he was like, aren't you scared of me being like and he's like in his car? He's like, aren't you scared of me? Like, because I could be a killer. And I said, aren't you scared of me? Because I could be a killer. (laughs) That is the best response. (laughs) And he started laughing and he was like, I'm part of the historical society. And he invited me to, because I had like four hours to kill. I ended up being in their historical society and they were so impressed that Canada was, I knew Canada was discovered by um, the the Vikings Vikings. before and like anyone else. And they were like, yes, it's not Christopher Columbus. They were so happy. (laughs) Anyway, so they kept on inviting me to the historical society, but that was my hitchhiking experience where someone asked me, if I were afraid they were a killer. That's hilarious. It was a very positive experience, <laughs> although probably not for this woman. Well, I was, when I was in Ireland, I was encouraged to hitchhike at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, what, like, so this happened twice. Okay, so I went to Newgrange. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've with, been there, yeah. Yeah, totally cool. If you're ever in Ireland, go to Newgrange. Very fascinating, although incredibly touristy, obviously. Well, yeah, but at the same time, don't let that ruin... Deter you. No, yeah, yeah no, deter it's you not, and ruin yeah. your experience. No, anyway, it's, it's, it's worth it. Regardless. So yeah. the bus to New Grange does not come all that often. And we had missed our bus, so we're trying to thumb a ride. And this guy, he's like, you shouldn't be hitchhiking. Like, he pulls over in his car, tells us not to hitchhike, and then carries on his way. It's like... Thanks for nothing, dude. 
Yeah, really. Um, and eventually, I think we ended up like we just waited forever for the next bus. Or he's like, "Thanks for hit, like don't hitchhike. I already have this chick in the back of my car." Right. But <laughs> trunk's <laughs> full. Like, yeah. Catch you on the flip side. So <laughs> then, on another See part of the this giant's tri- causeway, <laughs> another part of this trip, I was where the hell was I go? It doesn't matter. The bus I was on broke down, and it was going to be quite some time before another bus came to. Uh, finish the journey and I went into the pub because there's a pub everywhere in Ireland and spoke with a woman there and she's like oh you should go talk to Ian he'll give you a lift so <laughs> like the uber of Ireland <laughs> like, or like just some dude who I guess was just like stopping for a beer on his way elsewhere and like everybody knows this everyone and, before, and you know this is way before uber because this is the way that it works because now everybody just uber this shit <laughs> So I'm like waiting for Ian to finish his meal so he can drive me down the highway. Was and he then, having blood sausages? He was. <laughs> and then the the new bus came and that was the end of that. So it's like twice I was well like encouraged to hitchhike and then told not to and then it never didn't work out for me anyway. So that's <laughs> my hitchhiking experience. I'll always remember the Norwegian guy because he's like, don't you think it's dangerous? I'm like, don't you think it's dangerous to become stranger? Yeah, right? It goes both ways. <laughs> Just, I can fucking kill you right now. I could kill you. Who's going to kill each other? Well, then hey, I guess we're at an I'm impasse. part of the historical society. Want to come have a, a coffee with us at the local restaurant? Sure. <laughs> so random. So funny. So good. So yeah. poor Nancy did not have a positive experience with Mike. Right. We're not encouraging hitchhiking. No. By the way. By the- <laughs> as much as we've had good experiences with it. Um, Don't hitchhike. No. no. A lot of people have died. <laughs> yes. Well, Mike stabbed Nancy a whole bunch of times. Oh, a whole bunch. A me. whole bunch. He cut her liver, her lungs. He nearly cut her spine. Like Jesus. Like So, like, did he, like, did he go, like, front to back? I think, no, I think he just, like, reached over and just, like, went to town. Oh, Jesus. Or maybe he pulled over. Regardless, he stabbed her just a shitload of times. Nancy survived. And she died three times during surgery. Oh! Yeah. She was so traumatized by this experience, she couldn't testify at his trial. So Stark got six months. Are you fucking kidding me? I am not fucking kidding you. so, So wait, so wait. She died three, three times. times. Like, oh, that's yeah. Like the but for like kudos to her also for the the will to live, right? Yeah, just the strength to survive something like that. Holy shit! Yeah. And then to sit there and because she couldn't testify from the psychological trauma, then he gets six yeah. months. But she shouldn't have to. No, but here's the thing: is like, why did that? Why? 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 Well, this is back in 1970. Well, what happened? So I guess the trial would have been in 71. Um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes all the difference. So I guess that, like, the laws are a little bit different at the time. Like, the victim needed to testify in order to be like, yeah, he's the guy who stabbed me 50 times. Yeah. As like, opposed to, like... The, there's the man, Your Honor. Well... Like, the guy, like, oh. Yeah. Anyway. That's, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that... Yeah. That really, that really bothers me. Mm-hmm. So a decade later, Stark was dating a woman named Maria Woods when she disappeared. 
So this is in 1981. He was a suspect in her disappearance, but nothing ever came of it. Maria's body wasn't found until 1986, and she was in such a state as to make it impossible to determine a cause of death. Right. When Julie went missing in 1990, so like another, you know, nine years passes, Stark was married to a woman named Allison. Detective Kerwin spoke with her, and she was very open and honest and told him all kinds of things about Stark, like how he was frustrated with Allison in the days before Julie disappeared, and how he liked to roleplay. Stark's fantasy of choice was to have Allison dress up as a blonde teenager. He would drive them out to some lonely road and drop her off. He'd then circle back and she'd hitch a ride from him. He often used a fake name and always asked her if she thought hitchhiking was dangerous. Oh, well, this is, this is <laughs> right around the time that yeah. Julie disappeared. Stark wanted to play out this little fantasy, but Allison wasn't into it. Huh. Then Allison told Detective Kerwin that after Julie disappeared, Stark started acting really paranoid and he was wetting the bed. Which I think really? is a big warning sign for an adult. Yes. Oh, also, he, he wait, needed so to get... He, was, he yeah. was wetting the bed after he couldn't fulfill his fantasy. He couldn't fulfill... He Yeah, she wasn't into it, didn't want to do it. Then this girl goes missing. He starts acting really paranoid and starts wetting the bed. Huh. Okay. Also, he needed to get violent to get aroused. Well, yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, Stark was meant to pick up Allison from work on the day that Julie went missing, and he was late. When he finally did show up, he was all dirty and disheveled. He told her his car had broken down, and that specifically he had had trouble with the catalytic converter. This was a lie. His car didn't have a catalytic converter. It was an older model. Huh. Yeah. So I guess didn't expect Allison to know any better. Mm-hmm. What year was this? It was like 94? Uh, 1990. Huh. This right, is, okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, everything Allison had to say was good, incriminating stuff, but none of it was hard evidence. Stark in the case and Stark in the meantime moved to Niagara Falls. Good place to go. Good, yeah, why not? On June... Nice wine. (laughs) Yeah, there is good wine down there. On June 29th, 1991, a man and his son found a human foot encased in concrete near the shore in Lake Ontario. Detective Kerwin hurried down... So wait, really, they found it in the concrete. They weren't like, hey, it's a block of concrete. Instead, they were like... like, I, I always wonder when someone finds... When someone finds something encased in concrete, in- right? Like it's this, like, did you like, did you like check break this apart? Chair? Like, yeah, like, because like, <laughs> like, how did this happen? Because I mean, if it were, you know, somewhat um, dil- dilapidated, like, like just uh, corroded, deteriorated right? a little bit. If the yeah, like was if it had, down. If, yeah, if the concrete had broken down a little bit and the corroded, then you see a bit of a foot. That's one thing. But the way they always described it, it's like it's encased, and you're like. Well, how would you know it's in there well, you unless you opened it up? And why yeah, would you just start just chiseling away at random here's, bits of Here's concrete. a brick of concrete. Let's just fucking start chiseling away. It could be a foot, son. could be a foot. Like, quit. <laughs> you, you, you get it, right? No, I get it. I don't, I don't have all the details about this. 
but there was, I think they were out fishing or something like that. They were out in their canoe and they saw this concrete. <laughs> that was such a it was like in the way. <laughs> out in the canoe. Anyway. We're out, we're out in the canoe. <laughs> Paddle along. And my G-stroke. Hit, a... <laughs> hit this concrete. And I said, I said, my son, this, this might son, be a foot. It could be a foot in there. <laughs> Lo and behold. <laughs> This looks like a foot concrete. <laughs> I imagine there was something sticking out of the concrete. I know, I know but still. <laughs> okay, so they find this concreted foot. Detective Kerwin hurried down to Niagara, where police were pulling more concrete out of the lake. The remains were of a blonde girl aged 13 to 15, and Kerwin thought they might have found Julie Stanton at last. Before Detective Kerwin moved up to Homicide, he had worked in drugs and gangs. There, they would often pool resources and pull cops from other jurisdictions. The same thing needed to be done with the Stark investigation. The province of Ontario agreed, and Project Hitchhiker was born. In total, nine different agencies joined the task force. Each one had a case in which Stark was a suspect. Wow. So nine different cases across Ontario. Right. The task force organized... Can I also say there are other viewers, though, out there that Ontario is a very large province. Ontario is very big. (laughs) It takes like... It it takes 24 hours at least to drive across (laughs) or through. Yeah. Yeah. Just FYI. Just FYI to, like, get across. Like, if if anyone cares in other places like Europe... (laughs) Yeah, not saying that anyone would, but I'm just saying. Just to give you an idea of how big it is, yeah, it's a really big place. Although he his stuff is all concentrated, kind of like GTA Golden Horseshoe. Okay, so within like a six hour. So it's yeah, within a certain area. So okay, well, we're not talking like the friggin' border with Manitoba, like. Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, I mean, but I think it's important to note because if you're talking, because honestly, if if these murders had happened probably on the border to Manitoba and Kenora versus Toronto GTA, he probably would have gotten away with it then. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, as you were saying. Anyway, so they organized this task force. Um, and the task force organized for a forensic anthropologist to re-examine the site where Maria Woods was found in 1986. Uh, going back over the area, they found a bullet and a casing and it turns out maria had been shot with a world war ii cult 45 which just happened to be the same kind of gun that stark's father had given him back in the 80s holy fuck yeah meanwhile that's a big gun (laughs) dental records came back from the girl in the concrete and it wasn't julie stanton can you guess who it was no leslie mahaffey what yeah Wow. Yeah. So, bit of an intersection there. Oh. Um, Are you going to... I will talk into... later. I'll talk about that later. Okay, okay. Well, you can't tell me. Like, I'm like, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> you and I know what's happening. <laughs> okay, so Leslie Mahaffey, had, she fit Stark's profile um, and now was a suspect. He was a suspect in her murder. Um, it would turn out that Stark did not murder Leslie Mahaffey. She was one of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka's victims. 
Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. Detective Kerwin paid a visit to Julie's friend, Kim. This is Stark's daughter. And Kim told him that her father had picked up Julie on the day that she disappeared. The net was closing around Stark. And the next step was a wiretap. Stark was already under surveillance. And the surveillance team said that they had never followed anyone as paranoid and surveillance conscious as Stark. He oh. would drive and drive, traveling hundreds of kilometers, going nowhere, just to see if he was being followed. In which case he was, because he was. He was being followed. <laughs> because he was being followed. <laughs> so he was right. But they'd probably switch off. It's like, you can't follow some guy for a hundred kilometers. You don't know that. And imagine You, you that. don't know that. <laughs> anyway, the point is, this guy was really paranoid about yeah. being followed impressively so <laughs> yes but at the same time the only evidence would prove that is the fact that he was being just because i'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me <laughs> so and then basically court proves i'm right i was right to be paranoid people weren't fucking following me <laughs> so on this one occasion he parked over by some railroad tracks got out and then started walking down the tracks and it's possible he was trying to draw out whoever was following him. But the cops are worried he might try to kill himself. And if he did that, then there would be no justice for his victims. Mm -hmm. So the police seized this opportunity to tap his car. Uh, they told... Because the, if he's dead and kills himself, he'll, he'll say more in his car? No, I, no, the idea is that, like, don't follow him onto the tracks. Yeah. Bug his car. Right. So, and if he murders himself, then all right. Yeah, so the cops told the surveillance team to sit tight, and then they sent a patrol car to meet up with Stark. Mm -hmm. um, and the cover for the patrol was that someone saw him on the tracks and had phoned the police. So when, okay. the, when the uniformed officer asked Stark for his ID and then phoned in the ID to the station, he was told Stark had a warrant for fraud. And this wasn't a bullshit story. Stark did have a fraud warrant, but the cops had left it out of the system to prevent right. him from being picked up. Oh, smart. Which, yeah, which would have complicated their murder investigation. Yeah, yeah. So Stark was brought to the local police station while the surveillance team bugged his car. Right. So they let him go after some time. Um, and a month of listening to him and his car garnered no results. And the cops decided it was time to bring him in for questioning. Uh, Stark, of course, had been questioned numerous times, but he never gave anything up. And they needed a new approach, so they consulted with the FBI on how to break him. First, he was arrested by a blonde woman. And when she brought him to the station, he was walked past his old car, which they had tracked down. Because he'd, like, sold it to some guy years ago, and they were able to, like... I guess, track the sale, and they bought it from this dude that Stark has sold it to. So, um, this is the car that he had driven when uh, Julie disappeared. Then mm -hmm. um, inside the police station, he passed by a cop who was listening to tapes of him talking with Allison. <laughs> His wife. Um, another room he passed by was full of photos and stuff, all designed to make him think the police knew that he'd killed Maria Woods and Julie Stanton, and here was all of this evidence to that fact. Uh, the truth wow. is the cops actually didn't have enough. They did have enough evidence to arrest him, but 
they felt not enough evidence for a conviction. So they needed a confession from him, but Stark wasn't talking. He knew enough to just keep his mouth shut. Um, so Detective Kerwin, uh, his last resort was to speak again with Kim, Stark's daughter. And although he didn't want to put her through the ordeal of testifying in court against her dad, he asked her to do it because she had said that her father had been with Julie when she went missing. Um, and she agreed to do it. Well, on December 4th, 1994, Peter Stark was found guilty of first-degree murder for the death of Julie Stanton. Now, this wasn't the first time a murderer went to trial without a body, but it was the first conviction in a case like this. Julie's body was found in 1996, so two years later. She had been dumped in a farmer's field, like, I think it was something like 80 kilometers away from where she went missing. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's work. That's far. That's a, yeah, it's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this task force, Project Hitchhiker, um, its success led to the formation of a second task force, Project Green Ribbon, to investigate the death of Leslie Mahaffey, the girl in concrete. And that eventually led to the arrest of Bernardo and Hamulka. Wow. So there you go. That's so, impressive. Yes. But I mean, like, the lack of body for, like, like lack of bodies, I think it's interesting, though, as well. And it, Well, we've got a lot of interesting stuff going on. So it's the first time there's an interagency task force assembled to investigate a murder. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time they get a conviction for a murder without a body, or even a crime scene, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of firsts going on with this case. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. Well, so did you pick this one just because of that or like why else? Um, well, there was that also. So I'll tell you how I found this case. Um, so I do, I Google a lot of Canadian murders. <laughs> <laughs> hence, hence why if anybody gets Rachel's computer. <laughs> I need to delete my search history <laughs> or start searching incognito. Um, and I came across the CBC program called True, De- no, not True Detective, <laughs> <laughs> Real Detectives. <laughs> and it's a Canadian true crime TV show. And this is, I think, the second, the second episode in yeah. the first season. It's actually a good show. I'm going to recommend it to people who like true crime TV. It's well produced. And so, I mean, it focuses all on the investigation side, obviously, because it's called Real Detective. Um, so this one, again, piqued my interest because it kind of changed the way that some murders are investigated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, we get this conviction without a body. Super cool. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, you sent me some links on it. Like, honestly, like, I have, this is a matter of juries. It's like a jury decides if there's enough evidence. Circumstantial. Right, because it's all circumstantial, other... right? There's nothing, there's no, yeah, there's no body to test. Yeah, and also, like, it's not like, I saw her stab this person, or yeah, I saw no him. Witness. Stab, like, like, yeah, that, and that's, and that's the hard thing about it, right? So the question is, is like, you know, like, are there other 
um, trials. And there have been quite a few that were mistrials. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, like mistrials that... or, or acquittals? Uh, like acquittals. And then also like, you know, bodies were found after the fact. So like three years later, you know, um, 1994, Peter Stark is found guilty of first degree murder. Um, she was last seen getting in the Stark car. There was yeah. no crime scene evidence. Yeah. There was, you know, uh, he had made um, a jailhouse, like he made comments to a jailhouse informant. Yeah, so, so he so tried he got to... caught like that. But yeah. then the remains were found on a rural property two years later, right? So yeah. it's like, like for things like that, yeah, definitely. Like it's just, there's evidence later that kind of presents itself through informants and so on and so forth. But it's very difficult to actually prosecute someone without a body. Or a crime scene. Yeah, because there's no hard evidence. Yeah, and it's not. It doesn't come down to law. It comes down to juries. Yeah, because those the jury kind of decides like beyond a reasonable doubt if this person were in fact was in fact involved, right? Yeah. So well, I yeah, think it's... the whole thing like the role play. I think that's pretty damning. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. but at the same time, if you were saying like, oh yeah, no, I just like I like kinky shit. I wasn't involved. And then someone was like, yeah, but I saw her get into your car later. Like, that's damning. Yeah. But your but kink if... is specific to blonde teenage girls. Yeah. But at the same time, and... also, if they were like, if, the, if that kink had not been involved later on. you were on... acting really weird afterwards. Yeah. It's very, it is, it's, it's very sketch. Like, yeah. in this, in the sense of like, whether something is hard evidence, but at the same time, in this case in particular, like, yeah, it was very useful. Like it was. Yeah. Well, but... I'll, I'll tell you something else a bit. So Stark appealed, obviously. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, he has a right to do. And so at trial, the prosecution had argued that he had attacked Julie with an ax and cut up her body. Mm-hmm. And that was like part of their story of the crime and what had happened. And so when he's convicted of murdering her, he's convicted of murdering her with an axe. Right. So when Julie's body is found, there's no evidence that she had been attacked with an axe. So his appeal was based on that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, the body doesn't show that she was murdered with an axe and I was convicted of murdering her with an axe. So, you know, this should be overturned. I should be set free. But I mean, that didn't, (laughs) didn't work. Right. Um, but, you know, people sort of try, they pull out all of these tiny, like they split hairs and they nitpick over these little facts, these tiny little details. But that's, what, and then again, like that's where cases are won and lost, right? Yeah. A lot of the time. It's like these little, these little particular facts, like that's what a lawyer, and that's why people stereotypically hate lawyers is because yes. they will get away with what we perceive to be generally large facts and they will argue them to the nth degree. Like that's. That's kind of the problem there, right? So, well, in this case, it held up. Um, and the, he also tried to appeal. It was this jailhouse snitch. So he did confess to his cellmate. Um, and part of his appeal was also that this, the cellmate was not under contract, but was like working with the police. Right. Uh, but the... The fact of the matter is that, yes, this guy did have, like, a, an agreement 
with the cops to be a jailhouse snitch, but he hadn't entered into that agreement when Stark had confessed to him. Mm-hmm. So that was a timing issue uh, with the confession. So again, that didn't hold up. Didn't hold up. Stark died in jail two years ago. What really? Yeah. Huh. So <laughs> we got nothing to worry about from this guy. He yeah, did. But, yeah. <laughs> but like, he died how? I actually don't have the details on that. Huh. <laughs> but I I hope he got stabbed to death because that's wow. what he deserves. Wow. It's wow, what right? he. It's I. I don't care what that makes me sound like. It's what he deserves. So I was telling someone recently on a, well, on, on somewhat the same note, I was like, so the surgery I had recently, I have um, uh, an incision fairly close to my heart. And everybody <laughs> thinks their heart is like, like up where they would pin like something on their lapel. No, um, no, that's, it's like, that's between the it's boobs. Like, <laughs> it, it's like, it's like, like at the bottom of your boob. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that's where it is. It's like almost at the bottom of your rib cage. It's not it's not on your left side, over by your shoulder. <laughs> no, exactly. It's, it's like it's like it's like the left side, kind of near the bottom of your rib cage, but like a little further up. Mm-hmm. So, and I was telling someone, I was like, "Well, if you're in prison, this is where you need to stab because <laughs> this is where your heart actually is." Because when I found out where my incision was for my surgery, this I was like, "Wow, that's pretty close to my heart." <laughs> And and they were just like you, you. So you know where to stab someone in prison. I was like, well, now you do too, and that's a life lesson. There you go. <laughs> We've all learned something important exactly. today. So, and on <laughs> and on the same topic, mm-hmm. I would like to say that I have a uh, a dumb law. It's actually under dumb laws that I looked up, but you and I discussed this before. We don't really think it's that dumb. Okay. But. So no one in Canada may watch or listen to an encrypted broadcast, which is not licensed by the Canadian government. I don't think this is a dumb law. It's listed as a dumb law, and I don't think so. I guess maybe it's dumb because it just it seems so obvious. But like, if you're a spy, well, that's what you do. That's your business. Yeah, that that is like, exactly. So like, <laughs> so if you're if listening licensed, to. Like, an encrypted broadcast that you're not supposed to be listening to, well, then you're spying. So. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, that's not, I don't think that's a dumb law. Like maybe it's dumb if you're just a regular citizen and you're, you're good, but yeah, no. Yeah. I don't know. That's. I think that law evidence. makes sense. Yeah. Obvious, but like these things need to be spelled out. And so mm-hmm. here's a case where it's like, it might sound like it might seem dumb to have a law specifically stating that no you can't eavesdrop on someone else's conversation (laughs) i agree uh but i don't i mean i don't think it's dumb i think it's important important law otherwise you know what would be what would happen if we didn't have that law yeah exactly like oh everybody can just (laughs) like yeah just just go to town people (laughs) listen to all the encrypted conversations you want yeah you just you just go like, yeah it's fine i wouldn't even know how to intercept one and then decrypt it like there are a lot of steps you have to go through a lot of hoops to jump through yeah. to get to the point where you can in fact just listen to that conversation 
None of which I have. No. Nope. None of which I have. Yeah, no, no. Nope. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. What do yeah. you What do you have on there, uh, Rach? Uh, well, for a weird crime. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a look here. I have got. Uh, so this is a case for gun control, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a, a hot topic of discussion in my house. So this guy in Florida. Right. He, I guess, comes out of his house to see that there is, well, in fact, two AT&T trucks parked across his driveway. It's like blocking him in, essentially. (laughs) Okay. So this gentleman pulls out his gun and shoots out all of the tires. (laughs) What? These two trucks. Okay. Yeah. This is how he deals with his problems. He shoots at them. He was charged with two counts of aggravated assault with a firearm and one count of felony vandalism. No shit. So, there you go. Gun control, people. Yeah. I mean, maybe he would have slashed the tires if he didn't have a gun, but at the same time, it's like, what is wrong with you that you think this is a reasonable way to deal with the situation? Just, you could ask the people to move their trucks. You could call their supervisors and complain about the trucks. You don't have to shoot the trucks. I always think about, you know, like when I want to peel an orange and it's not being cooperative, I'm like, should I just shoot it? (laughs) (laughs) No problem. I can't be solved without shooting it. That's the (laughs) attitude these people have. Exactly. (laughs) I think it's a cultural thing, Rachel. You just don't understand. Maybe. I I lived in Florida for three years. Yeah, I know, but you, it doesn't matter. You, you just don't get it. You, it's you true. obviously I don't. Because I never went, you never I, went native. No, it's true. I am an elitist West Coast intellectual. So, yeah. what do I know? Exactly. You don't know shit. Lock her up, bitch. Lock her up. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so, that's, a, that's all we have, I think. Isn't That's it? it. Short and sweet. That's not short. You don't think so? No. <laughs> it felt long in my mind. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> no, no, no problems. I mean, like you're looking at bodiless cases. It's just sad. I don't. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's sad. I mean, well, it's if, sad that these people I, I mean, died. I, Obviously, it's a tragedy. All of, all of our cases are sad. They're all sad. I mean, it's a crime. Someone's been hurt. Uh, more than one person because you know the sort of spider webs out from the central victim but the idea that like a crime has been committed we know that it happened but we can't prove it I just I find that interesting but we can still like bring someone to justice at the same so I don't know I find it interesting the bodiless cases that you can you can have all of this this huge amount of evidence and it's all circumstantial and then it just it you know these yeah these 12 people who get to decide whether or not it means no no i i agree no i agree with you on that level but also i i also think it's 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 fascinating on an intellectual level and it's horrifying Mm -hmm. on a human level yeah i guess so, and I'm very happy that this also led to the whole Carla Homoka, like Paul Bernardo thing. So, yeah. So, 
I didn't know that going in that Project Hitchhiker led to Project Green Ribbon. So, but the sort of yeah, the intersection of those two cases, um, and that's how Leslie Mahaffey was found. Just randomly, these two guys canoeing in Lake Ontario. <laughs> and again, like I, I'm always gonna wonder what led them to be like. There's a foot in here, son. There's a foot. <laughs> <laughs> that there looks like a foot. <laughs> that looks like. That looks like that. That there look brick looks like a foot sized brick. <laughs> well, I do believe there is a foot in that brick of concrete. <laughs> so just so terrible that we laugh at this. But no. Still. All right. Anyway, so I've been Shelley. I've been Rachel, and I don't know. Try to stay safe. Yeah, stay stay safe, and if you're gonna hitchhike, do it well. And not badly and not die. <laughs> Thanks. Great advice. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>